What a fractured world we live in. How divided. How fragmented. War, obviously, is the most clear example, staring us in the face at the moment. But our society is divided too, in a less violent way, thankfully, but divided. Think back to March. Was it March 2020 when we first went into lockdown? And all the optimism about people pulling together. And, oh, there's a great community spirit. And sadly, it hasn't lasted. Uh, we seem to be more divided than ever. Arguing, we can't even agree what's, what's true news and what's fake news. What a divided society we live in. What a fractured world. God is going to heal it. God's going to heal this fractured world. What's his demonstration of that? Now, you might look back and say the greatest demonstration, of course, was sending his son. Yes. What's his demonstration that's around now of him bringing together divided people, healing a fractured world? Well, it's the local church. The local church, you might say, that just looks puny in comparison with how big the need is. Yes. But the church is supposed to be God's demonstration that he's going to bring together what's divided. He's going to heal a world that's fractured. And that brings us to our next part of our vision for Hollywell Church. Let's have it up on the screen, please. And we've been going through our vision for the church. aiming for as we look ahead. And so we've heard that we are to be a church that's looking up. Depending on God, worshipping God, doing everything for God's glory. We're to be a church that's reaching out, bringing good news, the good news of Jesus to more people. And today we move on to, we're to be a church that is coming closer. Third part on, is it there? Yes, it is. Third part on that picture. We're to be a church that's coming closer. Now, what do you think that means, coming closer? The others are maybe a bit more obvious. What are you expecting to hear about as you hear about coming closer? A church where we know each other better? A church that's more united? A church where we spend more time together and care for each other more? Are those the sorts of things you're expecting to hear about? Well, they will come into it, but they are not the primary meaning. We'll think about them and we must take action on them. But we mustn't start with them. They matter, but they are not the most important way we are to come closer. We've got to start here. We need to be a church that is coming closer to God. We need to be people who are following Jesus more closely. And coming closer has got to mean that, first of all, before any of those other things that I've just gone through can happen. So my main message this morning, the thing I really want to get across this morning is this. Coming closer to each other needs us to come closer to God. If you've got that, you've got what it's all about this morning. But I do need to say a bit more about it. So if you've got that, coming closer to each other needs us to come closer to God. Children, have you got a bike? Yeah, some of you, I'm sure, have got a bike. Maybe most of you have got a bike. Picture its wheels. Can you think in your mind what its wheels look like? 
There are those things called spokes. You know what the spokes are? They join the hub at the centre with the rim that's round the outside of the wheel, near the tyre. Now, where are the spokes closest? Where are they closest together? At the hub. The closer they are to the hub, the closer they are to each other. Now think of the hub as being like God and the spokes being like us. We're closest to each other when we're closest to God. Just like the spokes are closest to each other, closest to the hub. That's the thing I'm going to be trying to get across this morning. Or to put it another way, fellowship with each other requires fellowship with God. That tells us fellowship isn't just social occasions. Increasing social occasions in the church is not the key to getting fellowship. Fellowship with God is the key to fellowship with each other. Now, there are various places in the Bible we could get this. Maybe this afternoon you might like to read Philippians and notice there the link between them knowing the people knowing each other and knowing Jesus. But we're not going to be in Philippians, as you know by now, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 1. So let's turn to 1 John chapter 1 and see this, that coming closer to each other needs us to come closer to God. 1 John chapter 1. I'm not going to be going through it verse by verse. We're going to be mainly in verses 1 to 3. And we're going to begin with fellowship with God because, well, I've just said that's where it's got to begin. Fellowship with God. Now, fellowship is one of those words we use in church quite a lot. We've probably got a vague idea what it means, but what exactly does it mean? The word translated fellowship in the New Testament has as its basic meaning sharing. At a basic level, it simply means sharing. And from that, it's come to mean sharing life together. So the New Testament was originally written in Greek, and the Greek word that we have translated fellowship was used in in Greek society to describe marriage, the closest, most intimate human relationship, shared life. I hope you can see how a word for sharing came to mean a relationship of shared life. And so it was used in the Bible to mean Sharing life with God. In other words, being brought into relationship with him, knowing him. Shared life with God. That's what fellowship with God is. Now, this is going to seem like a change of subject next, but it's not. It's not. I noticed recently that one of my daughters had a homework question. It was RE, religious education. Do you do that, children, at school? When I was at school, it was totally useless. We learnt nothing useful. We coloured in pictures of stained glass windows. But it seems to have got a bit better. It seems to have got a bit more substance, because I noticed this RE question for her homework was this. What is the name of the Christian belief that there is one God in three parts? Okay, that was, that was her question. Can you think of the answer? I'll say the question again. What is the name of the Christian belief that there is one God in three parts? Have you got an answer in your head? Yeah? The answer the teacher wanted was Trinity. Trinity. But that's not the answer. I disagree with the teacher. Do you know what the right answer is? The right answer is, there is no such belief. 
That's the right answer. There is no such belief. It's a shocking question. One God in three parts, no such Christian belief. No way. There is one God in three persons. Oh, you say, you're splitting hairs. You're making fuss. It's just a little different word. It even begins with the same letter, P. Persons, parts. What's the difference? Oh, massive difference. This is not splitting hairs. God is one God in three persons. He is personal. Not parts. He's not a machine. Personal. Only such a God could be personal. One lonely being on his own throughout eternity past before made the world. Such a God couldn't be personal. Such a God certainly couldn't be love. Such a God couldn't be knowable. But our God is personal. The only God who could be personal is one God in three persons. And John says in verse 3, let me read verse 3 to you, we proclaim to you what we have seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with his Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And if you're wondering where the Holy Spirit is, well, he's going to get mentioned quite a lot later in this letter. John is saying, I'm proclaiming God to you so we can have fellowship with each other. You see, if we're going to have fellowship with each other, You've got to have fellowship with God first. And that means being brought into relationship with God. That means knowing God. That means the Father, Son and Holy Spirit who love each other, pulling you in to share their love. That's an amazing thought, isn't it? The gospel, the Christian good news is amazing. It's not God will throw us a bit of forgiveness from a distance. It's the Father, Son and Holy Spirit who love each other, pulling us in to share their love and their shared life. By the way, if you wonder where John got such an amazing idea from, he heard it from Jesus. He heard Jesus teach about it and pray to his father about it. And you can read that in John's Gospel, chapters 15 to 17. Now, how on earth can little sinful us be brought into relationship with God and share in the love the Father, Son and Holy Spirit have? Well, so we can have fellowship, John proclaims. I'm still in verse 3. Verse 3, he says, I'm going to proclaim, I'm going to tell you what? Verse 3. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. John says, I want us to have fellowship together. But that requires us all to be having fellowship with God. And that requires me to tell you what I've seen and heard. What had John seen and heard? A person. A person in verse 1. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life have appeared. We have seen it and we testify to it. I'm going to tell you about this life that appeared. What life appeared? Oh, this Father, Son and Holy Spirit. God became man. The Son became a human called Jesus and he got a voice box and John heard him speak and he got blood and John saw that blood drip and spurt from a cross as the son of God 
died. He got flesh that was pierced with nails and thorns and a spear. And John watched it all. And he says, I must tell you about him. For you to have fellowship with God, I must tell you about him because you need him. There's no other way to know God. There's no other way to share in the life of God except through this person I want to tell you about, Jesus. We need God the Son who would die for our sins. Now, do we all realise this? Do we all realise this? Do we realise you can't have fellowship with God just by thinking about God? By meditating and getting some quiet time on your own and thinking about God. By spiritual exercises like praying and reading the Bible, however much you do them, those can't on their own give you fellowship with God. You can't have fellowship with the church. You can't even be part of the church just by turning up and joining in. No. No, you first need to recognise your sins separate you from God. Your sins put God against you and you far from him. And Jesus had to die to heal that separation. And you need to trust him that his death was good enough to deal with that problem for you. No spiritual disciplines, no involvement in church, no amount of thinking about God, meditating on him, seeking him, whatever we do, none of it will give us fellowship with God until you've recognised that problem and until you've trusted Jesus to heal that problem. We've started with fellowship with God because everything must start there. Now, let's secondly think about fellowship with each other. Fellowship with each other. Now, remember, the main message is fellowship with each other requires fellowship with God. Verse three again, I'm proclaiming to you what I've seen and heard, Jesus, because you need him. So you may have fellowship with us. In other words, you need to know Jesus so you can know God so we can have fellowship with each other. Remember the wheel? Let's see the wheel again. God is hub. We're like the spokes. To be closer to each other, we've got to be brought closer to God. Now, that tells us fellowship isn't just being sociable. Anyone can be sociable. You can do that without knowing God. You can drink cups of tea and chat together and be friendly without knowing God. Fellowship must be more than that then. So what is fellowship? Let's have a think about what is fellowship with each other. Do you remember the basic meaning of the word fellowship? It's translated from a word that means sharing. Sharing on the basis of relationship. So let's have a think about sharing on the basis of relationship. When I was a teacher, it used to be interesting meeting the parents. Parents' evenings, God, I went on a bit. But uh, there was an interesting aspect to them, meeting the parents and spotting, oh, yes, that child goes with that parent. And sometimes seeing, oh, that explains why that child is like that. I remember, I remember having a, a, a boy in my class who had such a fiery temper. I remember him once completely losing it and headbutting a metal filing cabinet. And then I met his dad. <laughs> At a rugby match. He was playing in a rugby match and his dad was on the sidelines. Oh boy, 
he was going mad with the rugby team. And I thought, oh, yes, that's where the son gets it from. See, shared, we share characteristics in a family. At a parents' evening, you could spot the parents of a ch- You know, you often got these pupils who were really into what they looked like, really careful about turning themselves out well. Those children almost never had scruffy parents. And you could see in the parents a similarity where the children got it from. Even teenagers who can be very negative about their parents, without realising it, often share their parents' values. Well, fellowship is us sharing because we're in relationship with God our Father. Because we're in relationship with God our Father, we share certain things. Like what? Well, like character. We should all have similar character if you if God is your father. Yes, different personalities, thank God for that. It would be really boring and annoying if we all had the same personality. But we should have similar character. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We should share in the self-giving nature of the Trinity. Father, Son and Holy Spirit are self-giving. It's in their nature to always be giving. They were always taken up with each other and they've overflowed that into the world. And that should be what we are like in the church, self-giving towards each other. We should share God's values. He loves righteousness. He hates sin. He is determined to honour his son. And he longs for lost people to be saved. We should share his values. A good close family uh, shares experiences also. What I'm, what I'm going to describe might be rather ideal and you might think, oh, I wish my family was like that. But shouldn't a gl- good close family love to be together? Don't they listen to each other? Isn't it good when round the meal table their outlook on life is, is shaped by what they hear from their parents? And then don't they have those times when they reminisce, when they think about experiences they've had and they get out the photo albums? I don't know, does anyone have a photo album anymore? Maybe it's now you get out the phone and scroll through it and you look at the holiday photos and you talk together about past experiences. Well, fellowship is us loving to together listen to our father and talk to him. And our favourite family activity should be worshipping him. And fellowship means liking to get out our family book and together talking about our experiences of what is it like to follow Jesus. You see, fellowship is so much more than just being sociable. No, it all must flow from our fellowship with God. Here's another thing about fellowship. The word fellowship can be used in a business sense. That might rather surprise you. It was a word about relationship, but it came to be used about business. Think of it this way. In the past, we used to have fellowships of craftsmen. Now, there probably are some, but we're more familiar with partnerships of accountants. Well, partnership and and fellowship, very similar words. We're in a letter written by John. What was John's experience of this? Well, he was in a fellowship of fishermen. That was his job. He was a fisherman, along with James. Why were they fishermen? Why was it John with James? Oh, because their father, with the wonderful name of Zebedee, was a fisherman. 
And so they were brothers and they had a family business. And so they shared time together in the boat and mending nets. And they shared equipment together. And they shared, I presume they shared the profits together. And they shared resources together. And they helped each other. They shared time together. Well, there's our model for the church. We've got a family business because we've got one father. It's our father's business. You could call it a gospel partnership. We share together as we work at our common aim, honouring the Son Jesus by telling his good news. We've had fellowship with God and fellowship with each other. Let's get a bit more of what this fellowship is like by thirdly looking at the marks of a church in fellowship. What is a church that's in fellowship like? Well, John's letter emphasises two marks of a church in fellowship and he also mentions a third one that I can't claim he emphasises, but he does mention it. So I want to point out three and they are a church in fellowship is holy and loving and joyful. That should be, those should be the marks of a church in fellowship. Holy, loving, joyful. Holy. John's letter repeatedly says you can't know God You can't claim to know God and carry on carelessly in sin. God hates sin, and if you're his child, you will also. A mark of a church in fellowship is holiness. Have a look at verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we walk in the light as God is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. Now, see again, fellowship is more than just being sociable because you can carry on carelessly in sin and be the life and soul of the party. You can do both, can't you? You can carry on carelessly in sin and you can be the life and soul of the party. But you can't carry on carelessly in sin and be close to God. And fellowship is people coming close to God and therefore close to each other. Let's see the wheel again. I know you've seen it before, but I really want us to get into our minds. God is the hub, we are the spokes. Let's get fixed in our minds that coming closer to each other requires us to come closer to God. The mark of a church in fellowship is holiness. We will care about fighting sin. That isn't just some hard-nosed thing, while fellowship is some warm and fuzzy thing. No, the two go together. Here's the second mark. It's a more obvious one. Loving. A church in fellowship will be loving. John's letter repeatedly says, if you know God, you'll be loving. I'll I'll show you just one example. Chapter 4, verse 7. Can you look forward to chapter 4? No, verse 8. Chapter 4, verse 8. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. You can't know God and not be loving. And so a church in fellowship with God will be loving. Now, I said at the start, the key to fellowship in the church isn't starting more social types. It's not the key, it's knowing God. But 
that fellowship will include spending time together because it's shared life and because it's love. And you can't claim to love people and then not want to spend any time with them. Whoever has heard of such a thing? I love you, but I don't want to spend any time with you. No. And so we will want to spend time together if we're loving. And so it's important for the life and fellowship of the church that we have a good try at restarting Sunday fellowship lunches. They're not the key to fellowship. The key is knowing God. But they are very helpful and important for our fellowship. Spending time together, listening to each other. People who love each other do that. I want to appeal to if there's anyone here who comes to home group when it's the Bible study, but not when it's the time of praying together. Yeah, I want my teaching, but I'm not that interested in hearing how I can pray for fellow Christians, how we can care for each other. What's going on there? Don't you value fellowship? It does raise the question of what's the point of coming and getting more teaching. If if you don't want to come and get fellowship and care for other Christians and hear how you can pray for them. Why get more teaching when actually there's some basic teaching that you're neglecting to do, which is we need to be people in fellowship, love and care for each other. And this love must be practical. Let's have a look at chapter 3, verse 17 and 18. This love must be practical. 3, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love in, with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Now see again, fellowship isn't just having a good social time. It isn't just drinking cups of tea after the service, although that is a good thing. And As I've just said, we should want to spend time together. But fellowship means sharing. And that includes when it's costly. That includes giving money where that's not a social time, but it's sharing and helping. That includes giving time to help when there are other things we'd rather be doing or other people we'd rather be with. Because fellowship is reflecting the self-giving of the Trinity, not reflecting the self-fulfilment projects of our society. Our society is all about self-fulfilment. And we could even turn fellowships, supposedly, into just another way of me feeling better about myself. But no, it's not about the self-fulfilment projects of our society. It's about the self-giving life of the Trinity. We share in and reflect. By the way, verse 17 talks about giving money, but loving fellowship also means giving time. We live in a part of the town that's money rich, but there are plenty of people who don't have much time, and there are plenty of people who are lonely. Fellowship includes giving money, but it includes giving time because it is that very broad sharing word that reflects the sharing that Father, Son and Holy Spirit do. Here's a person I've mentioned loads of times in in services, but she's a good source of illustrations. Rosaria Champagne Butterfield, what a wonderful name. She was a feminist academic at Syracuse University and a lesbian. And she turned to Christ. She was wonderfully converted and she turned from her sins. And she rejoiced in that, but she was shocked at something. 
she said she was shocked to find her old lesbian community she had been in were better at spending time together and caring for each other than the church. Wow, that's a dishonour to the Lord Jesus. She said her old sinful friends had made sure no one had to spend a day on her own. There was every day an open home to anyone who was living on her own. Always an open home to them. Now, can't we make sure that no one has to spend their Sunday lunch on their own? That's a lower standard than the lesbians of Syracuse University. But couldn't we at least get up to that standard and work at making sure no one has to spend a Sunday lunch on their own? Fellowship means sharing, sharing time, sharing money, sharing in the self-giving nature of the Trinity. Now, have you seen something you should do about what you've heard this morning? Maybe you don't know God. And you need to admit your sins are separating you from him and you need to trust Jesus to deal with that for the first time. Maybe you are in God's family and you need to work at getting to know him better and spending more time getting to know what God is like and talking to him and listening to him. Maybe you need to adjust your idea of what fellowship is and your approach to life together with fellow Christians in the church. I'll try to persuade you it's worth doing by ending on this. This is going to be very brief. Do you remember I said three marks of a church in fellowship? Here's the last one very briefly. Joyful. Joyful. Fellowship is joyful. Look at verse four. Verse four. We write this to make our joy complete. We must reject the self-focused, self-fulfillment project of our society where it's all about me, me, me. We must reject that. We must reflect the self-giving life of the Trinity. But as we do, we will find that self-giving is joyful. John says, I want you to know Jesus. So you know God, so we're in fellowship with each other, and that will complete our joy. Because as we share in the life of the Trinity, we share in the joy of God himself.